You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and not Rick once again, because we're recording too early in the morning, and Rick is not so much a morning person. The topic that we really wanted to cover relates to the UK Games Expo, because, Sean, you went with your wife to the UK Games Expo, met a lot of people, and it sounded really fantastic. You came back with a ton of observation. You handed out a bunch of really awesome cards. I got, I actually got um, some feedback on the cards. They're, they're kind of like magic cards, the business cards that you handed out. And, yeah, and they, have, um, they have a foil finish. So yeah, a lot of people were pretty happy with them. It's almost like a collector's item. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get the whole set. I'm actually getting my card designed right now and it should be fun. And then Rick is next. The discussion that we wanted to have relates to marketing after Kickstarter or before you know, maybe sometimes even during Kickstarter, but at a convention and how to get the most out of it when you're running a booth. And I can talk about, you know, maybe when you don't have a booth, some other alternatives, but it's really about kind of your, from this conversation spawned off of your observation of what really great booths were doing and what booths that weren't so great were doing and uh, everything in between. Yeah. So for some context, I went to the UK Games Expo, which was last weekend. And I went for the entire uh, the entirety of the event, so all three days. Unlike other people who run booths, I had the advantage of being a nomad and being able to go freely and examine what was happening there. We were part of me going was also to scout: should we have a crowdfunding nerds booth? We didn't want to have a crowdfunding nerds booth if it wasn't if the, if the type of convention wasn't applicable to what what we offer. Some some conventions are and aren't, so it was kind of somewhat scouting as well, seeing what's happening, what people are doing, even queuing up to check in our bags at the airport, we were seeing people who were on their way to the convention as well. And funnily enough, just in front of us were two gentlemen and one of them I recognized. And the reason I recognized them because we run the, we run, manage the ad accounts for Modifius. Uh, so I'm involved in a lot of their marketing materials. And some of them is to do with influencers. Uh, the, certain, the gentleman in front of me was uh, a guy called Samuel who runs a YouTube channel called Tabletop Hub. I'll include a link in the show notes. And I was like, I recognize you. You've done stuff for Modifius. You're a YouTuber, right? So then we go, we, we start we start chatting, talking about the events. Um, so that's really great on the way, even on the way there, meeting meeting people who are in the industry and, and connecting to people. The disadvantage, however, <laughs> is that we were, and we were even close to each other on, on the plane. We could kind of like see each other and chat to each other. So when we're walking off, we started talking to each other. The issue was, is that as we were doing this, we were so sort of engrossed in the conversation that we got off the plane, got to the event and suddenly realized that my wife had uh, misplaced her mobile phone on the plane. So we had no way of contacting each other. And when we got to the UK Games Expo in the morning, as the crowds were growing up, we, we sort of figured if I stay in this one room and you just, you'll eventually find me, that's the sort of logic of it, which was well and good in the morning when it was quiet. But as things got busier that became a bit more problematic so I, I was seeing a lot of our past clients and just introducing myself and checking out their booths but as the day came near, near the end i said i better find better find my wife because i have no way of contacting her so what <laughs> it what resulted was me searching high and low for my wife and her searching high and low for me and I probably did a circuit of the UK Games Expo about 10 times. Um, that's not 
an exaggeration. Also, um, bumped into Mo of, of Cat Iron Arts, who we interviewed a couple episodes back, which was funny. But the advantage of trying to find my wife was that I was able to see a lot of the booths very quickly and uh, multiple times. And as I was looking for my wife, I was able to then quickly work out or take mental notes of what booths were working and what booths weren't working and why weren't they working and why were these booths working. So from my sort of rapid fire tour on the first day, um, I've got some uh, examples or some tips on if you're running a booth. One thing I noticed was when you walk down a hall, it's very similar to scrolling on Facebook. Because when you're scrolling on Facebook, you're curating content. You're trying to find something. And it's the same when you're walking down booths. You're quickly trying to work out, is this worth my time? Because there's so many things vibing for your attention and there's so much to do. You can't possibly do it all. So you're already picking and choosing what you're going to get involved in. If anything has any sort of resemblance of it being a dud, you're probably just going to walk past. You're not really going to spend the time of investigating it because there's so much to do and you don't have you don't have all the time in the world. So you're sort of, there's this clock ticking down and you have to make your decisions wisely. So I found a lot of the things that were working on booths are the same principles that work with Facebook ads. So the first thing I noticed when uh, searching for my wife and looking at all these booths was that the booth had, the booth had to be clear. At a glance, you had to know what it was about. If there was any sense of confusion, it didn't invoke intrigue. It just invoked, oh, I don't know what, I don't know what that is. I'm going to go do something. <laughs> I'm going to do something else. I'm going to find something that I do know what it is straight away and I can, I can investigate into that. So that's number one. Your booth has to be clear. It has to be very clear what you're offering. Let me, let me pause you right there if that's, if that's okay. I want to, um, because you made this parallel between Facebook ads and booths. And, and I think what you just said is so true for Facebook ads where you really want the ad itself to be extremely clear as to what the ad is trying to share with the, the audience. And then even when they click on the ad, the landing page also needs to be very clear. And sometimes the things that we take for granted, for example, the fact that you're you know, maybe marketing a board game or a video game, it is so, it's so easy for somebody to assume, let's say if you use an art piece that looks awesome, yes. it could be a video game, it could be a board game, and I'm not sure... So the person is right. And so the question is, what is this, you know, and showing somebody a square box, you know, we were just um, working with Adam of, uh, you know, Adam's Apple games, planet unknown. We're working on that marketing and whatnot. The best performing image, we did this dynamic ad with um, several images. The best performing image was just the plain image with a white background and his box, the the planet unknown box. (laughs) And it was, I mean, we used a bunch of different images bunch of fancier images and that kind of thing. But there, there's just the highest click-through rates and the best conversions were with that simple image because it was abundantly clear as to what it was. What makes one booth clear and what makes what muddy, what's makes another booth less clear to you just as an observer? I have thoughts on this too, but you, you so first. What, what you display is, is key. So if it's a miniatures game. Your miniatures need to be up in front and center. I need to be able to see very clear this is a miniatures thing. If it is a, if you're selling accessories to uh, tabletop things, you need to make it very cl- clear what those accessories are. Maybe lead f- lead forward with dice or something that's very recognizable. As oh, I kind of know this isn't like an accessories thing. Uh, there was, um, I, I remember one booth in particular. It was an accessories stall. 
And they had up in front this really weird thing, which I didn't know what it was. And I just walked past. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, don't know, I kind of have an idea what you're selling, what you're doing. But what, whatever that is, it's confusing me. And uh, I don't have time to investigate. So, And I'm not particularly intrigued enough to do so. And there's a booth to 10 foot to your left, 10 foot to your right. Yeah, that's far more um, eye-catching, I suppose. So that's another thing. Like You're actually competing with everyone that, that's there for attention. The booths that really got my my attention were ones with really good art. So again, it comes back to this idea of, of having good art in your marketing is that you're just going to get more attention. The ones that really caught my eye were ones that had great art and made me pause and stop and, and consider it a bit more. That good art is connected to the theme. So there was one uh, board game that had like a Radlands theme, this kind of um, diesel punk vibe. And it was very clear to understand the the, the feel of the even though the game of the mechanics, you could even kind of work out just because of the art. You had these kind of exploding cars and things like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that's going to be about. Uh, this would be so easy in market. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so that's an example of it, of things being very clear. So the second thing I noticed is that people must not be bored <laughs> because if you are at a booth and you look disengaged or uninterested, well, that is that makes me disengaged and uninterested. It's not very attractive. It's not an attractive quality. And I, I completely understand. I think this is why you need multiple people to run a booth because if you're there for hours, you can't really keep up the enthusiasm for an extended period of time. You need a break. Yeah. Um, or if you're just you're not having great success, it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where, well, you're not finding people aren't coming to your booth, which makes you sad. You being sad <laughs> doesn't make people come to your booth. And I think you have to think of the booth as a performance like you you are there in a sense you're acting you're performing it's like it's like giving a public speech you're there to really entertain people because people go to these events to be entertained they go there to experience new things and be excited about things so you need to try and work at and i don't think it needs to be over the top or dramatic or anything but you just need to make a conscious effort to be alert and to present yourself in a way that doesn't come across as you being oh, i want to be somewhere else or Certainly don't be scrolling on your phone. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the big uh, no-no. If you're on your phone scrolling, like not making eye contact, then you're basically a, just a, like a shop or something. And people, again, they don't want to just yeah. go to a shop. They want to have an experience. I think that's so important. I see this so often. I mean, you know, we are really a society, a society of cyborgs. I believe this wholeheartedly where we have this piece of technology that we carry with us in our pockets that is just we think about it all the time. We think about it as the gateway to into this, a whole nother world really, or into the greater worlds. You know, you, you can hop onto your cell phone, open up Facebook, Instagram, you know, TikTok, Twitter, you know, the internet, and you have this whole world of information. But in actuality, when, when you're doing that, you are so closed off from everyone in the real world that you you don't realize what effect that that's having on people around you and a lot of a lot of the time it's really it doesn't matter i mean if you're you know you're only annoying people at the dinner table if you brought your cell phone at a convention you're actually hampering your sales like significantly in a way that you will never notice being on your phone i see this happen all the time where people sit down and they look at their phone and they're just sitting in a booth their, their body language says, don't talk to me. Don't come mm -hmm. up and talk to me. I will not appreciate it. And it just seems like so opposite of what it should be where people, and, and the reality is, you know, when I, when I walk up and I talk to somebody that's on their cell phone, 
they put their phone down and they totally change. The light enters their eyes and they get so excited and they're really passionate and, and that kind of thing. But you, you know, it's just 57% of communication, more than half has been attributed to body language. And so what you're, you're, you're constantly communicated something, um, when you're running your booth and is it that I want to talk to you? You know, I'm excited about what I have and I'm passionate and I want to share it because that's what you should be doing at your booth. Like you paid thousands of dollars to be there and to have stock or whatever. So you should show that you're, that you want to be there. Right. And I think that people don't realize how closed off you look when you're, when you're focusing on anything else. And, and so for, for me, actually, when I'm running a booth, it's my policy to put my phone down. I'm not allowed to touch it. I'm not allowed to look at it. I'm not allowed to touch it. It's only for selling stuff if, or, or gather, gathering emails or whatever. I'm actually not allowed to touch it the whole day. And makes sense. when you, yeah, you know, and, and when you, when you do that, you will be more effective just in your booth. Like you'll be bored standing there looking and observing and you'll find ways to bring people to your booth that might not have come otherwise. Yeah, the extreme, I suppose, of being a bit too um, enthusiastic. You want to be careful with eye contact because you don't want to make an, like people. You don't want to present yourself as someone has an obligation now to to come to your booth. So someone might just be walking past because they're somewhat interested. The the key position you want to be in is when you are talking to someone at the booth. And then someone has the freedom to be close enough to your booth without feeling obligated to actually be at your booth. When they can see you interacting with somebody else that isn't someone you're working with, then that's that's going to attract people because people attract people. So that, that almost like the, the hardest thing to do is to get that first person to come to your booth. That's what I noticed as well is that booths that had people attracted people. And I, I even did this for some of our clients, you know, into Marco Pakoda's booth was Escape from Stalingrad Z. And when I first went there, it was early in the morning, wasn't many people around. Here's some people play testing uh, or play, uh, playing his game, but I, I decided to play a war game. And as I did that, as I was uh, talking to the instructor, someone else came, guy could bend. He's like, hey, can I play? It's like, yeah, sure. And then as we were playing, it that just drew, drew a crowd. The simply us there engaging with someone from the booth drew a crowd and they made sales just because we were playing the game. People were like, this looks cool. I, I want this. And, and they people were purchasing the game. That's important as well. And this idea of being friendly is that you don't also don't want to go to the other extreme where you're kind of like eyeing people as they walk yeah. past. Like, please come over. You, you, I yeah. suppose you don't, you don't want to be a desperate either. You want to be friendly and polite, but you don't want to sort of set a an obligation or make make it feel that people have an obligation to come and talk to you now because you made eye contact. Yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes people people could be going somewhere and they're just kind of lost and you know they don't want to feel like oh I'm sorry I'm actually in the middle of doing something so. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, there are a number of ways to kind of get around this, but I find when you're working a booth by yourself, it gets much more difficult on so many different fronts. So running a booth by yourself is, is one of the most difficult things you can do at a convention. It's really kind of like, I don't want to call it a death sentence, but it kind of feels like that it's you're, you're relegating yourself to misery for, you know, whatever, however long that's open, you know, 10 AM to 6 PM, eight hours a day of running your booth by yourself. Oh my goodness. First of all, you can't use the bathroom. You can't mm -hmm. get food. You can't take a break. I mean, you can't get water if your voice gets shot. I mean, we'll talk about maybe what like tips that I've learned just from running a booth, you know, that that everybody should know cough drops and water being the first two. 
you know, always having an unlimited supply of those. Hand sanitizer. Oh yeah, hand sanitizer. It's a big deal. We, that's that's um, we didn't bring it. Well, we did bring it. We didn't use it because we were so busy, but yep. we should have because we did get sick at yep. the event and it wasn't wasn't pretty. <laughs> they call it concrud. That's a real thing, you know. They just did before COVID. Honestly, one of the best things to come out of COVID was that everybody uh, you know, every convention has extra hand sanitizer everywhere. I think that's so smart to use. Actually, I, I recommend bringing hand moisturizer mm -hmm. uh, because hand, hand sanitizer just saps the moisture from your hands and you should be using it for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, running your booth is, is a big mistake, not only for the reasons that I just shared, but also, you know, because if you have nobody else to talk to, you can kind of look like a sad puppy that just wants a friend. Yeah. And that's a, you know, in a, in a way you look kind of desperate already. Yes. And, and that's unattractive. It's less attractive. Yeah. 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 So, so the key is to, to bring a crowd, which then brings a crowd, but to, and to cultivate that crowd. And the only way to do that, and I saw a lot of booths doing this was to have something interactive. So it's not, it's not good enough just to have something where I'm trying to sell stuff. And when people say, Oh, I want that. or I don't want that. And they walk away. You already want people to try and engage with your store, with your booth. And the easiest way to do this is to just really demo your game. So uh, Modifius is a good example of this. They had on each, each corner of their booth, they had a different game set up. So they had, and the big IP games, you know, so you have your Fallout, Wasteland Warfare, and Elder Scrolls, Call to Arms, all with very iconic um, scenery from those games. So straight away, you know, okay, this is this game, and this is the 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 tabletop version of, of this game. And they had people in the corner demoing it. And that, that's obviously going to draw a crowd. And then at the center of their stall, of their booth, they had a big statue of Vault Boy, which is a very iconic Fallout thing, which people were taking pictures of. So that's another way to get interaction. People want to take pictures next to this thing. It kind of brings brings it draws a crowd and keeps people there. So yeah, the easiest way to do this is just with demoing your game. Marco Pakoda had a good idea. Uh, he's actually very, very good. I use this as an example. He had a, a display of his miniatures. He, we, we talked about miniatures and marketing. Uh, well, he he did this at his booth. He had a display, a cabinet that was lit very well. Uh, it must have been a headache trying to transport this <laughs> from, yeah. from Spain where he's located. Or I don't know if he, he was able to get something in the UK. But anyway, he had this this great display that was lit very well off his miniatures painted. And it's just, it looked great. It, that that brings brings a crowd. He also had face painting. So mm -hmm. um, he has a zombie theme. So you could get, you know, zombie scars on your face. Or I suppose kids were coming up and getting butterflies on their face or whatever. If you, you know, again, <laughs> it, it attracts, attracts families, attracts children. And it's easy to have a conversation if your kid is sitting in a chair getting a zombie painted on their face or something whilst you know you, you then have an opportunity to engage with the booth. So having a way to get people to your booth and then keeping them there and, and interacting with them. Some people had a spin to win. So they had like these wheels that you could spin. And then if it stopped somewhere, you'd get something, you get something for free or you know, pat on the back. I don't know. <laughs> uh, in my experience, what I find is very attractive. So one of the challenges rather in trying to find, you know, something that attracts people, you know, you talked about Modifius, which was a great example, Escape from Stalingrad Z. Marco had this face painting thing and then also a really beautiful case that that he could demo just the the beauty of the miniatures. The one of the challenges to this is you have to figure out most of the time how to do this in a 10 foot by 10 foot space. 
and mm. or a 10 foot by eight foot space you get a couple of default things one of them being you know uh a one single table with four chairs and maybe like another small table that is that you can set stuff on and then you can request additional things if you needed them that for like a small upcharge you can request power you know electricity and other things like that but a lot of the space is really a blank canvas that's up to you to to paint on mm -hmm. and so um, I find some of the the material that really enhances the booth that I consider essential. Number one, you've got a big backdrop. Um, the big backdrop is, you know, oftentimes your box cover art or something like that. Most of the time you have like a black curtain behind you of, of some kind that is meant for separating booths. So there might be booths on the other side, or maybe the other side of you is a wall and they just want it to want to elevate the the presentation of the whole convention so they use like a black curtain but i find that a, a 10 foot wide by eight foot tall banner is an essential component to a booth for deliverance we have a large banner like that it's uh, i forget what it's called it's a uh, it's like a it's got like a little curve to it so the uh the outside edges are a little bit further forward than the inside center, you know, or than the center of the display, but it, it looks really good. And you can see the art from more angles than just if it was flat. But um, I think that the, the art, the box cover art for deliverance we have on a really large display. And we did a little bit extra on the left and right side because it's our box cover art is square. So we needed our artist to paint a little bit more to the left and a little bit more to the right. And uh, in order to make it sensible, and uh, you can do that really easily with like a fade to the left and a fade to the right. But um, so I, I think that that's the first core element. I've seen others do things like a three foot wide banner by, I, I can't remember how tall they are, but like they could be like eight foot tall by three foot wide. And you could have like four of those that are displayed and maybe you'll, you'll put a character on each one of them from your game or other things like that. But um, one of the keys, I think, to a booth, to being absolutely clear as to what this is, is the title of your game should be very easy to find. Or the title of your games, if you've got more than one, they should each be easy to find on a banner. I shouldn't need to talk to you to figure out what it is that you're selling. A lot of the time, like you said, the art, can, the art itself can really sell the, you know, the... I don't know, like I, I know the theme. I, I have an idea of how it plays and that kind of thing just from the art alone. Really great box cover art will kind of help you understand what the feeling of this game on the inside is like. And I think the same is true with your booth. It can, can kind of frame or position your booth. And then a second thing that's very, very easy is a demo of your game. Take a copy of your game, whether it's a prototype or an actual game, open it up, Stage it so that you can give a quick demo. There are really two kinds of demos I find. One is the quick five-minute demo. And then the other one is like, if you want to play a game, here's the table. I come, we're assigning, you know, this is your hour that you can come, like 11 yes. o'clock or whatever. Uh, come back and play and actually play the game with your, with your group of friends and whatever. If you've got a longer game, you can't realistically have people play you know you'll lose interest so i think that's key having one or two rounds they can play get a taste and if they want to play the full thing they can sign up mm -hmm. 
a good example of all of this that you've mentioned, having big displays, having systems in place where people can uh, demo games and sign up for longer play sessions was Dave Beck uh, with his distilled game, which I also met there. And we'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, he has a video, just sort of, he does a tour of his booth space. So that, that's a great example of someone who's doing a good job and his booth was um, super busy the, over the entire event. That's another thing is that uh, most of the people I met, it was their first time going to the UK Games Expo, which I thought was quite surprising, which really just shows that it's growing because if the majority of random people you're meeting say, oh, it's my first time here. Well, it means that it's it's grown since last year. And it, actually, I was talking to some of the event managers and they were saying that it's the first year that they've opened up three halls. So there was two halls of displays and then one hall was just for tournaments and um, like play areas and things. So it's the first time they've actually, so in a sense, it's the largest it's ever been. So it just, it shows that it's growing and growing, which is uh, great, great to see. Um, another example of sort of good interaction in terms of product demo is as an, one of our clients for Suverus Media. Uh, they had a catapult feud, which is this really neat mm-hmm. game. We build these, these little castles and you shoot catapults at them. But they had this displayed set up very prominently and there's people constantly playing that and because it's so um, it's so dexterous. Uh, a lot of excitement is around it. It just drew a crowd, just the fact people are playing it. So that's uh, that, did, that did really well. So yeah, I think those are the, the three things. Must be clear, you must be friendly, you must have some type of interaction. In fact, I, I, I know of an example where I had the first two but I didn't have the interaction part and it was this lamp or it tries to imitate daylight, um, a daylight effect. So it's great for painting, you know, in terms of like painting to, miniatures. Painting miniatures. I think the problem is, even though it was clear and they had them displayed, no one had any reason to really stick around. It was, and I think if they had done something where they partnered with a miniatures company or a paint company and they had like a painting competition, like oh, whoever can paint this miniature the best, we're going to give one of our lamps away mm-hmm. um, at the end of the convention. I think that would have drawn a crowd and at least kept people there. Um, but I think that was that was a great example where it's clear and the people seemed friendly, but no one was at their booth. I think it's simply because there was no reason to stay at the booth. It's like, oh yeah, I know what that is. I don't really need one of those, and people just walk past. Whilst if there's a reason for people to stick around, then they might come back and hang around there. And so, yeah, I think those are those. Are, that's what I noticed about the booths in terms of what was working, what wasn't working. Again, you have to remember people are there because they want to experience. Uh, the events, be excited mm-hmm. about things, experience new things. And you're competing with everyone else that's there. And there's so much to to see. So by saying yes to your booth, they're saying no to every other booth at that moment. In a way, this is about respecting people's time, but I, I'll frame it in a manner that is beneficial to the booth, um, the person running the booth. So when you're meeting with some, when somebody wa- does walk up, uh, there are a lot of different strategies to get people to walk up. I've done things like, you know, asking people questions like, hey, do you like dungeon crawlers? And they'll say yes or no or whatever. Um, uh, but I find it's more effective to have a group of people playing the game, a group of people that are working the booth with you that are out talking and and whatnot, like volunteers and fans are the best. If you if you staff your booth with volunteers and fans and say, hey, would you work my booth for four hours? And then, you know, they can do whatever for four hours and they do that each day. I mean, they're super happy to do that. And they also represent people at your booth that are not you. And so you can talk with them and they can kind of 
lead others to to walk up to the booth and, and that sort of thing, which is a pretty cool strategy. In in relation to respecting people's time, it's really important to develop a pitch for your game. So as you said, with the light that that looked really good, that made it easier to paint miniatures and and whatnot, that mimics daylight. I find that the demonstration of that product is um, in the light itself on the miniature, and it, and it's cool. But if I want to buy it, then I then I I know exactly what it does. And you didn't earn the right to talk to me through that demonstration. Um, I find my personal favorite demonstrations at booths. They start with a ten second. What is it? You know, it's like a I, I don't I don't want to call it a pitch, but when somebody walks up to your booth. Give them like, hey, uh, you want to know about this game? And they're like, yeah, I, I'd love to. The yeah, okay, this game, you know, so Deliverance is a game where you play epic angels in the army of heaven, and you've come down to this small little town that is filled with demonic activity. It's not a power center of any kind. There's no figure of influence. There's there's nothing. There's no reason outside that is obvious the, as to why these demons are here. And so it's your mission to figure out why they're here and put a stop to it. That's my, you know, a version of my pitch. And and people will be like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Will you tell me more? Or uh, or maybe I'll even ask people, would you like to learn more? Um, sometimes the answer is, oh, no, I think I've got it. You know, thank you so much. And that's it. Like they just wanted to come up and check it out and see what it is. Maybe the theme was something they were curious about. Maybe they're going to make plans to come back later um, maybe they're going to, you know, whatever, maybe they're just not interested. Maybe, maybe my explanation makes them uninterested and that's okay too. Maybe they're like, oh, I'd never play a game with angels. That's Christian or whatever. That's, you know, something that kind of happens with my booth. Sometimes that's okay. You need to let people go and there's nothing wrong with letting somebody go. You it's, there is something wrong with holding them for 20 minutes though. So if I were to just go like right into, let me show you the game demo. This is what happens and whatever that when somebody's not interested, it's a big mistake and you need to give, you need to break up your pitch into sections that allow people to leave both to respect their time. Yes. But um, also get to, to keep the people that are interested and invest more time into people that are interested. Um, because I promise you the people that are interested you get one person who's interested, he's going to attract a crowd of 20 or, or whatever over, over time when, as you're explaining to him, and he's going to go through the convention, tell his buddies, oh man, there's this cool game you've got to check out. It's booth D25 or whatever. And, you know, they make plans to come back on the next day. So that type of thing is really, really important. So I have this 10 second pitch. Then I give a five minute quick demo I have on a small table set up next to me a little, you know, two foot by two foot area um, that showcases what the game looks like and that kind of thing. And then I give them a little demo as to how the tactical combat works with the darkness cards. It's kind of like the core loops of the game. Like you fight in tactical combat, but if all you do is hit stuff with your sword, you will lose this game. There are these darkness cards that come out. And if you don't manage your, your tactical combat against controlling these darkness cards you're going to lose and it's very intriguing to people takes five minutes um, to explain and then i ask them would you like to play a mission um and it's yes or no but i give them another opportunity to leave 
and I give them that quick five minute demo. I give them the opportunity to ask questions or whatever. And then if they're interested, I give them the opportunity to play the game, which is on the table behind me or to, to my left or whatever. And that allows them to sit down and play a mission that'll take 45 minutes to, to an hour at the most. Um, Deliverance has two modes of play. One's a skirmish where it's like you sit down and you play um, and it takes, you know, an hour and a half or, or two hours, it, you know, depending on your group size. But then it has the campaign, which the missions are like 30 to 60 minutes, depending on the number of players and whatnot. And so I picked a very short campaign mission that everybody demos. And then if they wanted to come back, you know, like after hours or whatever, I, I, I give them the opportunity to play the next mission. If they wanted to meet me after hours in the game area, you know, the table area, this is oftentimes where you find like your most hardcore fans, the people that played your demo that were like, wow, this was amazing. Show me more. Um, and it's like, all right, I'll, you know, after I close the booth, I'll bring the game out and then we'll play through this particular mission or we'll play a skirmish game or, or we'll play a full version of the game. And you'll have five backers for your Kickstarter or, or huge fans that are ready to buy your game, you know, wherever. You have a lot of experience demoing Deliverance before it was released, but there's going to come a stage where you'll be able to sell. So mm -hmm. your boots will be orientated towards selling. One thing I'll say as well is that you need to have systems in place that can take as many payment methods as possible. Some people were only accepting PayPal. I don't have a personal PayPal account. So I was like, well, I can't buy your game. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to spend you know yep. 10 minutes here setting up a PayPal account, putting my card information in so I can buy, uh, buy your game. What they should have done is had some, a system in place where you could go to a website and make a, make a purchase through the website or just had multiple QR codes for different payment processes. There's no reason or why. Just the, like, even Stripe. Square. Yeah. For Stripe, you can set up a, a temporary landing page that people can insert their payment information for and you can list a product. So it's very simple to do through Stripe and that just requires people to insert their credit card information. So yep. I think having many as many ways for people to make purchases as possible is, is really key. And not just saying, oh, we'll just use PayPal because not everyone has PayPal, um, especially after their a scandal which a lot of people a lot of people left um, yep. not using it so that's true I, um i'll also say that i i personally find if i was going to sell something you want to make it as easy as possible to take payment and like you said having a variety of payment options is really important to that if people use paypal then great google pay apple pay amazon pay cash that type of thing cash that's excellent um that definitely works if you set up a website that where people can actually buy the game. What I find it, the most effective is probably to just swipe a credit card through a Square device that is attached to your cell phone. That's definitely the, yeah, uh, the oftentimes the simplest way, a tap or swipe or whatever, uh, just right then and there to make it real simple. Yeah, I want this. I want all the things. And you know, here's my credit card. So don't neglect. Uh, I find Square is an excellent company for that. I use a merchant processor for, for next level web and crowdfunding nerds. Um, but if I were to set one up for deliverance, uh, if we go to a convention, it's, it's going to be square because it's very simple, very easy to use. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've used that in the past as well. It's quite good. And it's, it's also another reason why you should bring a um, Faraday cage with you because you don't know what kind of devices people have, <laughs> you know, anyone can really sign up for these devices that, that can, you know, be tapped. So you want to keep your, 
a credit card and a mm-hmm. metal mesh. So we, we always do that when we go to cities or any kind of heavily crowded place. Every, any wallet I get is always an RFID blocker uh, because of that, for that reason, it's the fair, built-in Faraday cage. I also recommend not carrying your wallet in your back pocket. Carry it in your front pocket mm-hmm. um, at a convention. And this is just because there are there are people that steal stuff. Um, yes. And they go to a convention specifically to mark people or booths or whatever. I mean, in uh, in not in the UK, but in Essen, there are people that will come into the giant convention in Essen and cut off fanny packs. They'll they'll have like a some sort of box cutter. They'll they'll grab the fanny pack. They'll cut the the belt and they'll run. And it's such a crowd that they don't. They only need to run like thirty feet and then you yeah, you lose lost them. them. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's the same with laptops. You can get laptop chains. And if you have any type of computer stuff, mm-hmm. I went to a convention. It was an esports event. And one of the uh, one of the sponsors was Alienware. And mm-hmm. they were, the people who were running the event were demoing these Alienware laptops. And one got stolen. Like, what are you guys yeah. doing? Why didn't you have... Why don't you have those? You can buy cords, you know, like padlocks. You can stick into laptops and you can wrap them around tables. Like those are a must have if you have any type of expensive equipment. To wrap things up, when people are at these events, you're competing for their time. There's so many things that they could be doing. And one thing they could be doing is going to seminars. Um, and going to seminars might even be useful for you. I There are some industry seminars at the uk games expo uh, so i went to one that was how to, how to create a war game and from publishing to marketing actually by uh, by a gentleman called joseph mcculloch he actually created one of the games that we market <laughs> through modifius because he, he published through modifius so i was like oh I'll, I'll get to meet this guy who i you know i create i create ads for his game and so that that was a good talk but there was other talks i went to that weren't very applicable to the industry, but I thought they were. And I think here's here's my tip. If you go to an event, you want to sit near the back, near the door as a redundancy, because if you suddenly get into this lecture and it's maybe going in a direction that you hadn't anticipated, there's so much you could be doing. And that's going to be the back of your mind. Like, here I am listening to this talk and it's not really relevant and I don't want to be rude and get up and leave. That's much harder to do if you're like sitting at the front or you're front and center. So my advice, if you go to any talks, sit at the sit at the back near the door. So if you do want to leave, it's less obvious and you can just go and do something else. And people, you know, you'll probably just be able to slip out. Um, I had I unfortunately sat near the front and near the middle. So it'd been really obvious. And I didn't have my phone on me because my, my wife had it at the time because she had lost hers. So I couldn't even like pretend to be on the phone or something. It was just like kind of <laughs> awkward sitting there. So that's what I, I would recommend. And yeah, not not all talks are going to be great. And I think that's just the reality of it. So just trying to pick the ones you think are going to be good and then going to those, but then having a plan to escape if if needs be. So that's what I would recommend. But I do think it's worthwhile finding some, some talks with people whilst you're there. Um, yep. I'll still never forget the... Uh, Warhammer online presentation. I can't remember the guy's name. First name is Paul, but at uh, San Diego Comic Con, he we were supposed to learn all about this cool game that we were excited about, and oh my goodness, it was just like a motivation, like a motivational speech. 
It's like, no, tell me details about this game. Don't tell me <laughs> like how, like why I should be excited about life. Like I want to know about this game. And, and the whole room was so sad and so disappointed. I'll never forget it. It was the worst. It was the worst, best presentation I've ever been to because it was a great presentation, but the, the topic was something that I was, that I didn't, I didn't care about. I wasn't interested in. It wasn't framed correctly. It was like, Hey, we're going to talk about Warhammer and what the Warhammer online RPG or uh, MMORPG. And that particularly sucks for San Diego because you have to like camp outside to get to those talks, right? They're it's, it's quite yeah. laborious to get into. It's not like you can just slip in and slip out like you can in UK Games Expo. They're not mm. particularly crowded. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was sad that I didn't sit near the back. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll mention one last thing is that you don't need to have a booth at a convention to get mileage out of a convention. I believe we've done a podcast, maybe we, we can find it, include it in the show notes about going to a convention without a, a booth and, and actually making something out of that. There are demo, like uh, Gen Con has the first exposure playtest hall. Others have um, unpubs or protospiel events where unpublished games can be demoed. And uh, they actually draw a crowd of people that are interested in trying out games, like the newest games from designers that are up and coming. There are, you know, you can actually just simply meet people, join them for a game that they're, that they want to play. Maybe you even teach a game that people want to learn and then offer at the table, Hey, I'm working on a thing or I have a thing. You guys want to check it out. And the answer every single time is going to be yes. Or, you know, maybe they have to meet someone for dinner or, or whatever, but it's, it's a great way, you know, to just get value out of a convention. There are a lot of ways you can do that without a booth. So I hope all of these tips were helpful for you and edifying. You may or may not be planning a convention this convention season, but in any case, this should be, this should serve as your resource for, for any convention you go to in the future. It will be worthwhile to listen to this episode. I think anyway, we're going to have robot Richard send us out. And we'll see you next time. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.